You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Hello, Riverdale gang. Hi, gang. Welcome to the show on a uh, critical commentary watch-along podcast of Riverdale, uh, recorded here on the unceded territories of the Squamish, Musqueam, and Tsleil-Waututh Nations, where much of Riverdale is shot. Uh, I am Ryan. And I'm Chloe, and it's possible you'll be able to hear some purring in the background because my kitty cat Pinch is very intrigued by my makeshift sound booth. Mm, meow meow special guest meow meow special guest speaking of special guests last week ryan i have to commend you for liking so many intelligent and opinionated afab humans in your life i love this for you <laughs> i'm i'm very lucky to be surrounded by a, a lot of um people who like to rip into things similarly to me so <laughs> it's a good company chatting was so delightful um uh, uh, sorry about some of the sound quality. I, I'm going to try and go back and, uh, to clean up that file at some point when I have five minutes extra um, to make it a little less choppy. But that's day of instant response media for you. <laughs> Truly. Um, I, I mean, it, I didn't think it sounded too bad. We're working with what we've got, um, especially today when we're on our fourth start. <laughs> Um, between uh, difficult internet connections and recorder issues, and here Cute we are, Riverdale, we made it. I That's all that can be said, really, during the pandemic, is we made it. We're literally across the street, uh, not looking at each other because our v- video is insufficiently stable to record in sync and watch each other, and physically across the street, like, countable in... In meters. Yes. Something like that, <laughs> certainly. So anyway, here's a show, and um, here's a show that's going on hiatus next week. After next week. Yeah, a, like a long <laughs> hiatus. I don't think we're back again until July, so um, the world mm. might be a very different place in July. Yeah, oh boy. Oh boy. I, I may briefly become an essential worker, during the hiatus. I might go back wow. and work on the family farm for a while. That's that's on the table. Wow. Um, that, yes, that's very exciting. Um, you mentioned that to me the other day when we bumped into each other. Ryan comes from a beautiful part of um, so-called Canada that I have been trying to visit basically as long as we've been friends. And it's never worked <laughs> out. And I can't wait until um, I finally get to go. That'll be really fun. Hey, neither of us have a podcast to record in May if you want to come up for a ride. That's true. We'll have to see what happens with my employment situation. Um, there's a birth that I'm on the books for in May, but um, who knows what's going to happen with anything between now and May. I plan nothing anymore. Yeah, maybe the baby will come on the early end of the healthy timeline, and you'll have a couple of weeks to kill, and you can come learn to drive a tractor. Yeah. And then we can... Wouldn't that... No, no, we wouldn't be... In, well, we... In July? No, I don't think I want to stay there from May till July. That would be a little too much home. <laughs> that would be a little too much small town. And small town makes you a little a little crazy after a while. It's beautiful and it's gorgeous. But um it's a it's a weird cultural isolate, uh these Riverdale scale realities. <laughs> 
Yeah, well, we're excited for Ryan. We, me, myself, and I are excited for Ryan. Um, the other thing I'm excited about is the head of our network got in touch with Ryan and I yesterday or the day before, what is time, uh, saying that there are about 200 consistent listeners out there to this podcast, and people go back and listen to older episodes. And so we just really wanted to thank you for being along with us on this um, weird dark sugar trash ride. Um, we're delighted that you like listening to us. Um, I know that a couple of you have emailed us in the past, and we are not responsive. I will own that. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's not that we don't uh, care that you're out there. We do care that you're out there. It's just that, in especially in the pandemic, there's only the brain space for a certain amount of things. So um, We always flail excitedly about emails, but usually we're both at work at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. Doing so, something else. Yes. So I especially wanted to sh uh, shout out Dylan Exner, who has got in touch with us a, a couple of times um, recently. And um, yeah, so thanks for all being out there. And thanks for sticking with this, God, this weird show. This weird, weird show. Yeah. Two, 200 is like a significantly larger audience size than the majority of indie theater I've done. So that's fun. <laughs> <laughs> uh yes oh well we're housekeeping i have i have a ridiculous tiny nuanced detail um uh, from like five episodes ago when i was rambling extensively about uh land acknowledgements i believe i used um kwakwakwala to describe uh the kwakwakewak nation kwakwakwala is actually the language uh whereas Kwakwakewak is the, the nation, and I mixed up those words, and that's been a clarification I've been wanting to make. <sighs> Great. Now we're all clear. Now we're ready for the hiatus. Now we're ready for the show. <laughs> Actually, while we're continuing to housekeep, I am going to say I adjusted the sound on my recording because my voice is usually extraordinarily quiet, and Ryan's normal, <laughs> and I, I tend to have to max out my voice and kind of bring Ryan's down to like a nice mid but um so i cranked it today and i think consequently you are going to hear every siren every car going by outside every time my neighbor thumps every time the cat moves <sighs> indie podcast oh man, Chloe, you we, could, we could almost we could almost throw our windows open and sink our audio by the sirens yeah, there's could. a hospital <laughs> across the street from us both <laughs> Just hope you don't pick up any of Ryan or any Riverdale uh, audio, and so we don't get sued. Yay! Um, Yay. How are you feeling about this episode, Ryan? I hated eighty to ninety percent of it. Interesting. I was bored and annoyed for most of it. Um, and there were like everyone rounded about to a reasonably interesting um, sort of critique and message and i agreed with where all the plot lines were going broadly speaking and then kevin keller pulled out that monologue that i suspect has just been in Sakasa's journal in like his projects tab mm. like oh here's a here's an intimate monologue on um queer shame and self-esteem that i've just wrote in university and like I can just slip that into my pop culture show. We can just do that. That's fine. So I liked that. Weirdly, I'm annoyed that I like that because <laughs> some, you know when you know when something's just like, oh, real specific. Yes, but I hate it. Too close. 
<laughs> That's interesting. Yeah, there was a lot of I, I wasn't bored for most of this, but there were a couple of so one thing I did notice is that I really liked the way the episode was constructed from a, 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 a mm, an episode mm-hmm. of television construction perspective. Um, yeah. I really, really liked that. Um, mm-hmm. I hated, I think, most of the choices that were made for Betty in this episode. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I The choices Betty made that were made for her, uh, parallel ridiculous to the choices Archie makes, but with an entirely different set of stakes and scales and emotions and... Uh, yeah. Not the twist I was expecting. Yeah, I mean, I don't, uh, I personally don't care about football, and I personally, as a, like, assigned female at birth person, don't need the pat on the head of a small woman getting a touchdown. I don't need that. I don't need to be pat on my mm-hmm. head like that. Um, <laughs> I didn't need it. Um, I understand what they're doing, and I appreciate it, um, but I mostly, I, it, it there's something about the way that people write in quote unquote female empowerment that I sometimes find really mm. condescending. Mm-hmm. Um, Especially the tokenistic and like playing there's this episode plays out a string of narrative tropes of characters making bad choices in, in cliche setups with 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 stripes of very special episode. Like, I feel like we're meant to hate the characters' choices in this episode, but um, it's laid on so thick, the genre of this, that I feel like we're in... We're in a we're in a place of just terrible, terrible decision making and choices and realities and morals. Like all of the characters feel morally untethered by how very special episodes some of their stakes spiral into. Here, uh, I feel like we are referencing the genre of of high st- of of like television feature episodes of television one off bottle very special episodes and, and narrative tropes like intentionally laying it on thick and given I find hyper competitive football Americana to be deeply unsufferable, um, mm. letting having that override overwrite a solid half of the show was brutal <laughs> yeah i mean I, football it, isn't a sport that i find personally compelling um but i appreciate that it's a huge huge part of americana and i like when it gets used in that way i think i really struggled with mm-hmm. i don't know something i did like about this episode is it was exciting for me to see these characters who are played by adult actors finally be adults that's definitely been my favorite part of this season so mm-hmm. far period yes um i quite agree and so seeing archie as a coach was mm. was really fun for me i thought that was a good choice for the character it was fun to see kj appa do that um yep. and uh Yeah, and same with even um, even Betty, even though I didn't like the choices they made for her, it's still fun to see her as an adult. I have to say, the storyline they're writing for Jughead this season is really working for me. Um, I'm having yep. a very, very easy time identifying with this character. Um, I don't, like, not the yep. alien part, but just, like, 
the way he's making certain choices, I'm finding the character very, very easy to identify with. Um, Samesies. Yeah. Samesies. Uh, that's, you know, that's a reflection on us. That's something we can look at our souls in after <laughs> the season's wrapped up. That's probably um, true. But, but, but I wanted yes. to go back to what you were saying about Kevin. Um, I... My boy! Yeah, um, it's interesting. I was... it's really interesting to me because I'm being, being bisexual is kind of a weird zone because there's something about gayness that I, not gayness, blah, there's something about the gay experience, especially the gay male experience that I'm never going to fully know in my body. And I'm really excited to hear your feedback about, um, more of your feedback about Kevin when we come to that moment in the episode, unless you want to talk about it now. Yeah, that whole thing. I will I will throw some um, structuring context of um, there's two things happening on screen that I'm finding very fascinating mm-hmm. in Kevin's plotline. Um, we're seeing somewhat intertwined, but which I think is 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 reflective of the reality for a lot of the 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 gay male experience in, in North America uh in general the um intertwined threads of um risky sexual activity and social sexual activity hmm there there, there are different cultural roles and offerings like available that that I think in in frequent patterns um queer men uh seem to stumble into and discover and create in the last in the last few gen- generations at least fairly consistently um mm. experiences uh, <laughs> of, that are repeated that are are passed along through media and reinterpreted their um social sexual space being portrayed as normal and casual i'm really excited about the mm, the, yeah. the presence of a a cruising gym in riverdale i am i'm going to ignore the other part of that for the moment and just say like oh yeah there's there's a sauna where guys cruise that's reflective of a lot of gay and mask space yeah the bathhouse kind of um experience is what i thought of when i saw that absolutely and there is um there's important distinctions between bathhouse cruising and gym cruising and both are real Mm. things and both are very different dynamics uh, and relationships to space and relationships to your community. Um, risky public sex is a, is a real thing. And for some individuals, it's it has specific kink and turn on. But it can also play into self-destructive ur- urges, self-harm urges. Hmm. Um, risky sex is a huge part of the conversation of gay identity that is available uh, up to up to maybe the the most recent generation but um the majority of gay literature is telling you about how not to get aids or what happens if you die of aids mm, that's right. what the the majority canon 
of gay stories were in the 90s and were were fed to the survivors of that pandemic basically right um so so you have a whole subculture that that has come out of a a very um you know 40 years of sexual exploration of uh sort of recently rediscovered sexual freedoms society does go in flows and ebbs um but it's also important to um to contextualize that um while well at the moment at this moment in time um i certainly and i think many of us have a sense of some progress some forward going progress there's a directionality um there's we're you know as as much as there's backsliding on rights and freedoms and and um protections and cultural understanding of queer identity i feel like there's a zeitgeist of um progress and fighting against something and that's not always been the case um for for decades at a time the queer experience was not one that came default with hope it's one that um had a long stretches of hopelessness and um, the the you know, the combination of social isolation, sexual discovery, secrecy, those ingredients uh, come together again and again and again and again mm-hmm. uh, in really uh, in di- in very different ways in healthy times and in unhealthy times. Um, so yeah, we've got there's a lot going on in the Kevin plotline. I think. Wow, thanks for sharing um, all that, Ryan. I think that's really interesting. Um, which seems to be my go-to phrase on this show. I've noticed. I think mm-hmm. it's. I think it's a very compelling. I find the gay male experience very compelling in terms of a narrative, um, and mm-hmm. I appreciate that sort of that insight on how it's mm-hmm. playing out in this particular show. Oh, and and um, I haven't even touched yet on uh, the queer bashing concept. Or moment in this plot line, the fact yeah, that yeah, it's gets not beat our favorite. <laughs> cruising, it's not our favorite at all. And visceral guttural reaction is, I don't need to see that on my TV. But it didn't, it didn't hit me in the way, um, a, a, in the way casual queer violence hits me in sure. a lot of TV. Well, um, the, like, the question I wanted to ask you actually, and I think you're about to answer it, but the question I do mm-hmm. want to articulate is. Did this work for this plot line and for this character, this moment happening to him? It felt extremely natural okay. and realistic in 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 almost upsetting ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is where the the idea of risky sex comes comes into the conversation. Um, there there are. There's a social dynamic of being closeted or being out, but in being in in mask space. There are social dynamics of th- of threat, of risk, of of hiding that are a normal part. I think of a lot of adolescence gay experiences. Um, I I think it's quite. Um, there's some very like sexual binary masculine arcs. Of sexual discovery that 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 we've had access to in the last few generations, mm. um, and that are are pretty reflective of of a reality of 
where men end up mingling naked together at the moment. And for a lot of gay gay men and young men, that's a place of a great deal of tension, risk, threat, whether it's of outing, whether it's this risk of violence, um, as is, is punctuated on today's episode, um, it, it's a risk of something, whether it's a risk of, of uh, contracting HIV, having risky sex. These are all things you have to learn to live with mm. to to go on a date you are wow. um you are you are taking the risk of getting beat up to, to 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 flirt with a guy to flirt with a guy in a gay bar to draw a really famous um example in vancouver around the time i was an undergrad here um a man was uh punched in the back of the head and left permanently uh, brain damaged and disabled uh after uh flirting with another man in a gay bar that man mm-hmm. identified as straight and took offense to being uh, come on to and punched the other guy while he was retreating. This is late aughts. Um, and that played out for many years in the court and conversation in the city. And that's, um, that's a risk that you get used to and wrap your head around and I think often make your peace with um, living out and gay. And mm-hmm. um, I know that that violence is i don't i think not unfamiliar for um femme uh lived experience for uh, for a lot of people's lived experiences but um mm-hmm. there is a dichotomy i think of um a switch flicking back and forth between um a sense of comfort a sense of strength a sense of power a sense of default and privilege and then these these very arbitrary swings to the 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 utterly insecure these mm. enormous vulnerabilities in your privilege that are just like if someone pokes you in a crack in your armor y- you will fall apart and yeah, it's that's normal so for, interesting. it's normal think, to poke each I other you, in the armor i think you really hit on something there in defining the dif- like i think you are right to say in that like for women and for um, people perceived as women, um, or I would say especially people who are perceived as, or not people who are perceived as, um, the lived experience of trans women, um, mm-hmm. we we women collectively, and I'm going to include myself in that even though I'm agender because of how I present, um, do experience mm-hmm. a lot of violence um, in on en route to... Um, trying to find an intimate relationship. And I think that the violence for gay men and for um, women and AFAB folks comes from a different, like, I think they come from different sources, but I think you're right to sort of, like, I think what you said there was very articulate in terms of um, pointing to the different sources of that violence. Mm-hmm. There's different there's different experiences of risk and safety and when can I let my guard down? When can I take my armor off? Um, yeah. To like use a sloppy metaphor, um, I imagine an, an, an AFAB femme experience to be like scale male, full body armor that like you you don't take off except in safe company hmm. or in safe spaces. Um, Whereas masculinity, a... Sorry, I'm I'm picturing like football padding, and like aggressively butting heads with your hard helmets, 
as a casual fun thing hmm. and occasionally realizing, oh, God, I don't have a visor. Oh, interesting. And then just getting, yeah. like, casual play can turn into breaking your nose because you, you know, it's not it's not robust armor that covers everywhere. Very, just different experiences. Yeah, it is just different, yeah. Gosh, I think that was one of the better uh, tangents you've gone on on this show, Ryan. I really appreciate well, all thank that. You. Thank you. Um, it's nice to... Uh, Nice to put that out into the world. Yeah. Was there anything else? Uh, I'll, I think I'll, I'll have more to say on Kevin's plot line sort of as we're running with it, perhaps. But uh, was yeah. there anything else we wanted to, to preamble before we start our watch along? Um, any other plot lines that that we feel need some commentary or context? Um, I will say I'm, I'm pleased to see Reggie getting plot of some sort. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll take it. Yeah, that act is really now. underused. He's good. Yeah. And um I I I liked Veronica in this episode more than any more than most of the others, but I don't remember why. So I'm excited to rediscover that. Okay, great. Um, On that note, maybe we should jump in. Sure. Let's let's do so. Chloe, uh oop. Netflix browse, Netflix Riverdale current episode. Yeah. My Got Netflix your, uh, is uh, deciding to take forever to load. Let's just reevaluate that. All of our lives, technologies, and internet plans. Oh man! Okay, gang, gang, that's I time for you to get. I made a huge error with how much I turned up, up this mic. Please, please forgive me. I'm so sorry. <laughs> you might just hear Echo Ryan the first half. That's cool. Yeah, you're definitely going to hear my cat leaving her paws over some of the really wonderful points um, Ryan made. Anyway, uh, as long as she meows. Okay, you got your video up, probably. We got ours up, probably. Let's uh, hit play on the three, two, two one. one. Click. Go. Ba-doom-ba. And I hate this new sound. Yeah, it's not great. I it's noticed in this episode and the last episode, Jughead's narration is back. Mm. So I wonder some things. Oh, this little shot is so great. Um, yeah, I yeah. just love the color scale and this and this stuff in his glasses. I think that's really fun. Um, that's fantastic reflection to capture. It's a great um, camera trick. Yes. I have some questions about how much of television writing now gets decided by the fans, in the sense that was there. Was there feedback from the fans somehow about, we miss Jughead's narration? Or was there feedback about, we like Bughead, but not as much as we liked, um, or sorry, we liked Barchi, but not as much as we liked Varchi. Um, We don't like chat. You know what I mean? I'm sort of wondering, because I feel like those plot lines were going in a specific direction, and they kind of took a left turn. And maybe, um, hmm. maybe it was always like this, but I don't know. I don't know. I just find... I don't I'm think fan reaction is usually quite so fair weather or quite so immediate. Um, certainly, I don't think fan reaction is likely to shape a cur- a changes within a current season. Um, absolutely, fan response and reaction um, will impact uh, our hiatus editing. Uh, it'll impact our between-season decisions and uh, between-season writing. I think we saw a positive example of that with, with Tony, and we've seen a lot of examples of that in, in this show and in mm-hmm. past shows, um, of how a show can swing and pander or fan service or 
adjust in, in the off season. But there's really no time in the TV pipeline to adjust on the fly in a season. This was written many months ago. Yeah. And uh, so I, I don't I don't think so that much in in this uh, in this reality where we do see dramatic like, shifts or changes within a season. Often it is a logistical or technical or artistic choice, uh, clicking or unclicking. Um, Sometimes characters have unexpected chemistry. Sometimes performers have unexpected chemistry or lack it. Uh, Just these these arbitrary aesthetic details of, does this work? We tried it for three episodes. This isn't working. Uh, And those are things you might discover in the the daily shots or in the editing room mid-season. And course correct considerably uh, or while filming, but that that's that's likely internal. Whether it's studio, whether it's creative team, I think that's uh, that's not been released to react into the wild yet. I don't think um, as much as instant media and instant fandom reaction have evolved that the um, the production pipeline has evolved that well. That's interesting, yeah. Um, oh, except, 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 except for soap operas, which film every day. Right. And those are few and far between in the current world. But anyway, that's 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 an entirely different ballgame. Well, I guess that pretty well answers my question. I did want to say quickly, I thought it was wildly inappropriate, Veronica promising money to a group of students if they did well. I hated that. Um, Correct. Yes, Veronica makes terrible choices. It's. I think I enjoyed Camila Mendez's performance and her screen time with Tabitha more than I enjoyed any decision Veronica makes. So many bad decisions, and uh, the 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 brutal competitiveness that overrides everything that is good and and valuable about sports because winning? Question mark. Nah, so yeah. blunt instrument like. It feels it feels very special episode commentary on don't get too competitive, folks. Um, Tattered and I feel millions, like it's an that is a word we should use more. <laughs> uh. um, yeah, it's interesting that you hit on that. I really liked everyone's <clears throat> acting this episode, even when I hated mm-hmm. the choices that were being made for their characters. Yes, they all got very nice, juicy hyperbole. Um, and, and foolish commitments and foolish choices with both feet. Archie's interrupting every one of these classes. Yes. Like, that's what the scene is. Everyone is stopping teaching. And that's like a dude I was lecturing. And he's scolding a school? (laughs) Like, like, that's not, he walks away smiling. It's like, I don't think you said what you think you said. But I know what you think you said. Also, I thought Cheryl Meanwhile, was Cheryl, off the Vixens. I thought Tony was booting her off the Vixens. I'm confused. Uh, Matt Leaf. Last episode. Ah. Tony Tony went on Matt Leaf, basically, and, and passed it back. Ah, gotcha. Yeah. Wait, the actor so, or Tony? The, char- the, the, the character. Okay, got it. Yes. I got it. Um... I thought it was fun to see this character, to see Jughead as a teacher, like really just yes. fully in an adult role. Because I felt like of all the teenagers, even though he like became a leader of a gang and all this weird stuff, he was very, <laughs> there was a lot about his character that was very, very adolescent in particular. 
Um, yes, there's a lot just, of learned empathy. Yeah, it was just cool to see. It's just cool to see the character as an adult. Um, I liked that. Agreed. Um, um, I have to kudos to Lily Reinhardt's performance in this scene. Receiving heartbreaking news you were expecting, I thought this was fantastically performed. Whatever else is going on in this plot right now, I thought she chewed chewed good on what was given to her. Um, right down to like lashback anger. Yeah. Um, and the contrast from the very, very in charge in control calculating Betty of the last few episodes like th- this this felt like a great character moment of letting letting Betty break into her grief and sadness and feelings after holding it together and like I, I, whether it's editing or Reinhardt's performance I think it it was well crafted over several episodes yeah um I agree I absolutely agree um so what I thought was interesting um, from a personal standpoint about this little mm-hmm. plot is that I actually wrote a short story that got me in grade eight that got me pulled up um, in front of the counselor. In the in the story, one of the characters commits or dies by suicide. Mm-hmm. And I, from my perspective, I just wanted to write something melodramatic. I was 13. And um, I also wanted to say something about high school. I don't know. I was 13. It was a long time ago. It was almost 20 years ago. And um, it got taken, like, very, very seriously. I went, like, the teacher made sure I went and saw the counselor. And so the sort of nonchalantness of um, Principal Weatherby's attitude kind of surprises me. Oh, my God. Those pancakes look Mm -hmm. so good. It's – yeah, I feel like they're playing a trope of 80s, 90s dealing with – problems with with Jughead being the progressive for the aughts teacher in a lot of ways like I feel like we are even in this episode arching back to very special episode tropes of the of the genres of multiple genres and that includes hyperbolic decisions and somewhat out of in care out of character decisions by a lot of people here um I don't think this is a responsible example of Weatherby um though it's interesting the the hands are tied administrator that's that's a that's a different real thing but i feel like they're switching around to let weatherby play the role he needs to in the genre mm-hmm. um that could be bad that could be wibbly wobbly but i hope it's going to give us more weatherby screen time much like more charles melton reggie screen time here yes not not the best material but i'll take it to get your face on the thumbnail yeah they do a lot with the lines i think Yes, agreed. Um, these three actors. So the um, the Jughead thing. Um, the getting called up to ask about your emotions in home life over your creativity was like... I, that, that would be like a fear of me. That would be like a reason not to bother creative writing for young me. I Like, <laughs> that's so anxiety-inducing. Um, but I am also reflective of like... Inch, incidentally, also kind of a queer thing that I think uh, learning, well, I'm just not going to tell anyone the details because I'm not quite sure which ones they'll be homophobic about. Um, 
So we're just gonna shove all of this in the, in the closet, too, and take our anime into the closet with us, and take the drawing into the closet with us, and take the writing and creative works into the closet safely hidden. Because it might all shoot rainbows at any moment. I mean, the closet is a very comfortable place sometimes, as far Especially as when it's got shells go. All your stuff. Literally all your stuff is in there with you. Yeah. <laughs> it's very convenient. You just have to reach, and it's there. Mm-hmm. Um, good dadding from uh, Sheriff Keller. This outfit on Veronica, I mean, it is a great, great outfit. Agreed. Just, yep, flat out. Um, Hiram being petulant to his daughter is entertaining me this season. I... Because he can treat her not as a child. Yeah. This is, this this sequence feels almost unbelievably petty, and then I stop and think, and I'm like... Think of all the petty stuff that, like, every family you've ever heard of has engaged in. Like, come on. Yep. This is... I've, I've just accepted this is their relationship. Um, and seeing Hiram relate to a fully grown Veronica shows me the similarities in their character that I, I think... The way they are meant to foil be foils for each other. Mm-hmm. And the way that he is meant to, you know, show facets of Veronica. I'm, I think they're starting to get a handle on that. Um, now that they are, um, not with the weird tension of bad parenting of a child, like they've always been. That's interesting. I, yeah, um... Sorry, I'm distracted by what I'm watching. I actually don't think this is all that unprofessional. Do I just not know something about teacher-student? Like, I remember I completely going through a rough agree. patch in sixth grade, and my my teacher had a talk with me like this. Nothing you know? about this is, seems invasive or inappropriate to me. And I think that's where we're in trope territory again. I think, I feel like this is intentionally written in a dated tropey way. Mm. And we are meant to be with Rebel Teacher Jughead recognizing that this isn't an unreasonable or invasive conversation. Weatherby's given a special set of hyperbole lines. Actually, I'm just realizing maybe Tony did go on mat leave. Maybe um, maybe the performer did go on mat leave because I just realized she's not in this episode. And last episode, and she was filming while pregnant. And that, you know, maybe. <laughs> I know that one of the last things she shot, only because she posted it on Instagram, was the mm. the snake dance. Um, but nothing is ever shot oh, in the order, opening. so that doesn't mean anything. Yeah, yeah. I liked um, this. Uh, I liked mm-hmm. this scene because, of course, Ag- agreed. Cheryl has been. <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> Sorry, uh, Cheryl has been through exactly this. You know. Mm-hmm. Yep. I also and think that Betty not taking her advice was a nice choice for the character. I thought, I, like, I don't like the choices later, yes. but um, this sort of erratic, good advice, I'm not going to take it, because I just can't. Yeah. Feels very yeah, I am um, unable to, yeah, aligned with grief. Sure, yeah, Cheryl's presentation of grief and the the, like, the wisdom it can give you that you don't want... Uh, it's beautifully done. I I did think for a moment 
Remember when you had your brother's corpse in a wheelchair for a year? Mm. Okay, back to healthy grieving advice. <laughs> um, characters doing things I hate, but that are tropey. Archie is being such a bad coach while he's performing and seeming like such a good coach in every way, but prioritizing competitiveness and winning and performativity over anything good. Any single thing's good. I don't care who wins! I do not care who wins about a football, and no one no one should care who wins about a football in your first year untrained team. <laughs> like they're they're like this is the trope trope underdog story, and they do scale you know the season one anime sports arc does usually peaks with the winning of one game, not the winning of the, the full league or tournament. That's reasonable and normal in the in the pacing and arc. I I get it. I see what they're doing. But, yeah. Oh, bad football culture. And there is good football culture. I am coming increasingly to respect the, the um, logistical strategy and mm. and aspects and the, the relationship of the arts to U.S. football culture, the halftime show, cheer. Like, there's a, there's a lot that I, younger me didn't think to look twice at that is super neat. And uh, vivid ways of engaging multiple, um, multiple social structures, um, sports, community, arts, culture, different types of teamwork, gender binaries, these systemic things into shared singular community activities. It's not that football is special, it's just that everyone in town has the shared association of football which they may only otherwise have at church, but there's mm. 18 churches, so that's not shared either. That's interesting. Yeah, I have. Um, I I don't know what it is about football. I just I struggle to find it engaging. Soccer, I really like. Rugby, I really like. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I find wonderful performance I, from Mage and Amic in this episode. Yes. By the way, really, 100%. really hundred percent. I I this was a fantastic transformation and example and presentation of grief. I think Mage and Amic. Um, has been just a gem. You're gonna hear this some noise. Season. I'm moving my cat. I'm so sorry, Riverdale gang. <laughs> <Have a moment. laughs> Meow. Uh, yes, absolutely. Um, yeah, this conversation was again hyperbole upsetting. I think they're wrong. I think this is written as a trope. I accept it. It is meant to shove Jack head in an arbitrary plot direction. It's out of character. We're in genre space. That's what I'm taking. Well, you know, I do think. Um, I did really like the way these parents were portrayed in the sense that they come in with, I just want to protect my kid and I'm going to blame somebody else when I don't feel like it's going okay. Yes. To a kind of full circle of being vulnerable with the principal and the teacher later in the episode. I thought that was, these, these two characters who only have a few lines really came alive for me. Yes, and very, um, like, uh, that look she just gave Jughead was, um, so pointed and, and emotive. I agree, it's, they shove a lot into this little arc. And we, we see Weatherby holding the, holding the space and delivering the lines of the uncaring system. And, Mm. like, holding a whole uncaring worldview structure together with a couple of lines and scenes in a neat and interesting way. Uh, Man, Cheryl, Cheryl... I can I... fix it. God, the the white rich 
reaction. <laughs> I can fix it. Kangs. I guess that is better than Fevin. Yeah. Oh, I'll take it. Actually, I kind of like Fevin. I've changed my Kang's mind. Kang's Fevin. Kang's Fevin could be a porn name. Not a good one. <laughs> um, complicated conversation here as yeah. well. Um, I, there's a missing piece to the story I want to be seeing. Um, reflection and expressions and grounding and placement of Fang's lived experience and identity. Mm. Uh, I'm not quite sure where Fang's is coming at this from, and I would, I wish we sat a little more with him. I hope as he, I hope they reconcile and we get to. Um, but narrow, tight focus on Kevin's emotional, the emotional block, the emotional trauma, the, the thing that's going to come out and explode in this episode and talk is, um, well, well, well pressure cooked in reflection. Yeah. Um, yeah, thank you for that feedback. I'm sorry, I'm distracted a little by this moment. It's really interesting running into your ex mm. when something big has happened to you. And you're, right. you're like, oh, this person knows me pretty well. Or obviously, they've had a seven-year gap. But there's, like, a level of comfort mm. right. in, to being Old emotional intimacies. in front of this person that sometimes never really goes away. And I've noticed that with... A few, mm. a few exes I've bumped into over the years or I, who I've stayed friends with, there's just, like, this understanding that I can burst into tears in front of you and it's okay. Hmm. Um, contrasting this to their awkward, hey, hi, an episode or two ago. Yeah. What is also, like, two, two clear extremes that jumped out at me as complimentary. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Um, Arch- I, uh... Archie, you're not modeling good emotional regulation for these children, and I don't, I don't know who this man is because I don't follow football. I respect this is this is another genre beat of look at our special sports guest. Hmm. Um, and I respect that's a thing, and I'm, I it's it entertains me that they went out of their way to do it and complete it. I still don't know who this who this man is. Well, but he was in the first episode. He came in for a sec, I think. Oh no, sorry, I'm mixing it up. They gave they gave someone else a similar name to T Dub, I think, in the first episode. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm thinking of. Sorry, never mind. Mm-hmm. He was in a very different outfit. I don't know why I would mix them up, but um, uh, I'm 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 not sure is if uh, we should look up if this is an actual contemporary famous football player or should. if he's a fictional character of the celebrity football player i'm i'm vaguely intrigued with how meta they went um uh, yeah because this is there's so much of like look look this famous face look here's a happy moment with kids inspiration also veronica throwing resources at things again um yes veronica so moments like the one that just happened between the football player and britta are the kind of thing that i struggle with in terms of um representation because what i would want is for britta to just be a member of the team and to not really be singled out just because she's a woman yes Um, and we're i feel like she's being upgrade to quarterback singled out she's being lead kid singled out and it is aligned with the gender binary 
Um, yeah, and, and I, in, I, a, I in a modern a little, like, telling what of kind that, of builds have to play which positions in football. But she is small, and I'd be more interested. There's a great movie actually about a very small man who really wanted to mm-hmm. be on play for Notre Dame. Uh, Sean Astin's mm-hmm. in it, um, and he's quite mm. short, obviously, and, or compared to a football player, he's short. It's probably average height. And um, they make this really cool story about his determination, out of his determination to play um, at this disadvantage of his height. And I would almost be disadvantaged in terms of the game of football. Um, and I'd be more interested to see, like, conversations like that. Like, like Britta, we love your passion. You are on the small side. What are we going to get you to do kind of a thing? Right. Uh, and I think in another episode we might get that. Yeah. I, The thing you hate that is in this episode I think is there by intention much the way lots of the things I hated are here by intention, design, and contrast, and trope, and genre. Mm. It's all genre. It's all the gift wrapping. It's all it's all the pattern in the script. There's a pattern. Um, I'm increasingly loving this uh, backwoods Appalachian shack set with the mothman statue with oh, like getting seat in the this... night at the day frankness of this man i liked this scene a lot i liked this scene a lot too be- the- partly because this uh actor they've got doing these lines is great but like the hmm. oh no i re- this is not going well from jughead mm-hmm. and the are you kidding mm-hmm. me from betty especially in yeah. the context of these characters being former partners oh man this was so juicy i just was (laughs) i was on everyone's side in this uh scene now this man's performance i loved because he also delivered this with confidence of what i got from this the man is um i've been forced to explain what this is so many times i've come up with an explanation but here's the experience here's the force here's the thing that happened here's the thing that happened and all and the conspiracy theories are slapped on top to explain what felt like a very true experience like i've you know i've i've had the reverse conversation of someone you know dealing with delusions of grandeur in the active moment of you know riffing conspiracy theories this was completely inverse uh i i found it so neat yeah absolutely um I yeah, being, I feel you. We're I feel being you misled towards to so much, um, to something so neat, and like so many characters who see, oh yeah, that's real, but are saying things in a way that takes our leads on a goose chase. Hmm. Um, this um, I noticed that the they guilt. save a lot of really fun um, cinematography sequences for Betty's character. Yes, I yes, um, yeah. This this tight close up on the eye, um, yeah. I think I, I liked this a lot. I don't know about you. I think part of that is genre again. In that Betty playing thriller arcs, there is an expectation of a certain silent emotive intensity that isn't usually required in CW genre. Yeah. Um, and Betty gets those visual storytelling moments quite frequently. And I think lands them well. I was a little surprised to see the gun after back-to-back mass shootings in the States. 
point. Um, but have the mass shootings ever stopped? I guess it's true. It's very normalized. Um, yeah. Um, I'm with Kevin here in, like, this man is yeah, closeted I, this and angry is a, no, and getting like, off That's the, vibe. the moment where, like, a straight dude, especially who's who's clearly as homophobic as this straight dude is, goes like, mm-hmm. hot? What do you mean, bro? You know what I mean? Like, it's it, it mm-hmm, feels like mm-hmm. it gets far enough that... Yeah. This is another branch of, of queer experience that uh, closeted gay dudes are sometimes the most dangerous to you. Um, yeah. But brief, brief moment of violence. Violence that... um. Risky sex. It's mm-hmm. it, in an episode of genre experiences and statements. Um, that moment, while it's it's it is a gay bashing, it is a gay panic moment. It did not feel as bad or out of the blue to me as most gay panic, gay bashing moments in television happen. Um, partially because it is in the context of knowingly and intentionally risky public sex where your relationship to that threat and risk and that tension is often part of the social dynamic and the conversation and the the mood and the vibe and the the thrill like the 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 whole experience is dangerous in a different way um yeah and you know it's not it's not okay that kevin got beat up in the gym that's not how this should ever resolve um, in reality. But it is not... It is a known reality that if I, if I hit on someone in the steam room, it could, uh, it could turn this type violent. Exactly. That's, that would be, like, part of cruising in a steam room and a, and, and a thought of known reality. Mm. I guess, if that makes sense. And it's different than, like, I don't know what straight public sex would elicit in, in a different context. But this this tracked to me and didn't feel, it didn't feel hyperbolic and it didn't feel like it was random violence. Hmm. It felt like it was violence engaged with, uh, that occurred in a, in, um, in a, in a space and context Kevin has been opting into that underscores this monologue. Um, yeah, sorry, I'm distracted by this scene again. Um, I'm getting distracted. Mm-hmm. I'm re- um, I have two, I have one comment is, yes, I hear you, that, that's really interesting to me that that experience tracks for you. Um, I mm-hmm. think that's, like an indication of like how powerful it is to have uh, a gay male showrunner writing gay male like being in having the last call on gay male content like th- this is this is what we're talking about when we want to see stories told truthfully. Um, yes, um, representation. I don't understand this comment about husky clothes. I don't. Oh, yep, yeah. That that threw me for a loop at first as well, but in a fascinating way. Um, Kevin was a fat kid. Kevin had a relationship to his body, to his weight, to his appearance. Oh. That is a place of insecurity. Kevin's mom wasn't homophobic to him in that moment. 
Kevin's mom was critical in a very common and normal way about his body, his shape, his appearance. And for a young gay youth, there are outlets, hypersexual outlets of attention, of, of appreciation. That is an aspect of current contemporary gay live culture that there are a lot of dangerous and risky choices that you can stumble into. Um, and there are a lot of patterns that will feed existing self-esteem things you have. There's a lot of bad coping me mechanisms that are readily available and presented as the panacea to your queer problems. Um, and this is also, you know, when the shared, when the, the primary shared experience of a group is closet queer trauma, a lot of things get flavored with closet queer trauma, and you can miss these other extraordinarily complicated problems like body image. Um, eating disorders are extremely common in, in gay men. Um, mm. It's all sorts of eating disorders. Um, uh, wanting to be more muscular, rex attaching your value to your appearance in ways that um, are distinct that again make me think of uh the the femme female experience but different but isolated to this very narrow space you are often objectified and rewarded hugely for it in niche spaces yeah i mean the problem is patriarchy context. in both cases <laughs> and the problem is yes. male gaze in both cases for sure um shared sources different yeah. expressions thanks, different mushrooms thanks for articulating that because i didn't i didn't follow i was like is husky like a rude word mm. for gay men that i've never heard like i didn't i um mm. i didn't clock exactly what the yeah. exchange was about Totally. Um, I hate That's, this for Betty. I think, I think it's a terrible choice. I also find agreed. it very unbelievable that not a single one of the sex workers working at that truck stop said to her, didn't say to her, butt out, this isn't your business. Yep. Um, yep. I find yep. that very, very unbelievable. I don't find that sequence compelling. Agreed. I don't think this is a good representation or, or expression of sex work. I think it's pretty surface and pretty tropey in a way that doesn't have the depth a lot of the other conversations we're having has. Um... So this police violence, that this tracked, authoritarian anyway, violence that Betty, I believed, this all was believable, this, this bit was believable yes. for sure. Now, I want to ping something in this scene. This is a moral line that I don't think Betty can come back from. Mm. Uh, that, and that's, that's a personal opinion thing um, in, in stories and narratives. And um, I want to reflect on um, Magnus Archives, a narrative podcast we both listen to. Um, a wonderful ex exploration of police and state violence and um, the consequences of powerlessness, uh, of having your life in someone's hands arbitrarily, someone who has life or death authority and who you know will get away from with it. That social power and powerlessness and abuse of power, um, that's a huge, rich contemporary territory for conversation uh, that I'm intrigued to see betty treading but like mm. there's there's permanent character stain that i hope they recognize and cope with in this season by her actions here yeah i mean we'll see mm -hmm. we'll see God, great I feel that so she found a kid like kid. nothing whatever it is he's going through i feel sorry for him 
Mothman, I guess. I love that the truest thing seems to be Mothman out of this whole season so far. I'm actually so here for Mothman. I'm like, <laughs> okay, moss to a flame? Is that what's happening? Everyone's being pied pipered in, Mothman? I like the Mothman sculpture. I don't think... I think this is a case where the less the, the, the shakily defined lore of Mothman means Mothman gets to be everything and anything, and I'm, <laughs> I'm actually liking it <laughs> more than I expected. Again, the parents, solid, solid performance. Yeah, they really real these, issues. Yeah, they really give these characters a lot of depth for the amount of screen time they have. I really appreciate that. That's something I really appreciate in a television show when they find, find actors who are probably only going to have a few lines for one episode and really give them something to do. I love that. Yep. Quality day players can make a show, especially in an ensemble cast like this. Um, This is like, I can't, I'm, I don't know if these are, these, these performers are local or from out of LA, but I know that this show is, um, notably uses a lot of Vancouver and local day players in yeah. creative and ensemble ways, uh, which I always appreciate, uh, the big, yeah, the I big cartoonishness too. of this world. Um, yeah, I thought this was a really spaceship. good progression of the Betty and Jughead relationship. Like they're doing the, the part that like they really had a lot of fun doing when they were young and they were a couple. Um, yeah. but it's matured in a way that I find very believable within the, within the context of the show. My cat's back. I'm sorry in advance, Riverdale gang. I, I agree absolutely on the relationship. I'm loving what it is. I hope we don't see, um, Bughead again because yeah, of I'm how much I'm appreciating their grown relationship. Okay. Let's talk the choreography again, because I'm super curious your impression of this number. Um, this feels, this feels very sexualized but also very empowered um Mm -hmm. i don't think it's appropriate for a 25 year old it's interesting i was thinking about my own high school experience there were definitely dance performances that were brought in and Mm -hmm. they were definitely older people so perhaps Mm -hmm. this isn't as unbelievable as like i'm thinking of a a community dance troupe that um uh was brought in for something I don't remember that we all watched a performance of in the gym and Mm -hmm. um I so I'm sort of wondering if this is like more believable than I'm giving it credit for I don't know um Mm -hmm. I I love Madeleine Petch I love watching her perform I think she's so well suited to this role and so I wasn't particularly mad but I also think this sequence is about Americana it's not really about yes the characters it's about cheerleading and it's providing and high school and it's scoring the montage yeah that's why this that's why we have halftime shows so we can score the montage too um also yes. as someone uh, who um is <laughs> missing someone they broke up with this like fun ridiculous dance sequence of uh i want your crazy stupid love like it just like it was a very kind <laughs> of cathartic i don't know it really worked for me yeah a good punchy song. Yeah. I don't really. I don't think I know the song. I don't know the either. original yeah. song very well. Um, um, yeah. So I, I liked her choreo. There's a lot of voguing. There's a lot of basic jazz step. There's there is like one or two leg cross turn moments. Um, but she's in this lovely fit jumpsuit. It's not curvy, but it is flattering. It's like I liked that performance. Comparing. 
this season's Cheryl dances to last season's Cheryl dances. Yes, 25-year-old teacher could be super inappropriate in the high school game context. All of that can and could be true. But comparing to past Cheryl, I feel like we're getting the... Uh, we're getting a different choreographic flavor that is giving me... that it, of grown-up Cheryl. There's, there's different... There's a difference to her choreography of what she's performing, of how she's performing, of um, the vocabulary she's using. There's yeah, there's maybe. a lot of voguing. This um, you know she's she's been centered, um, but there's a different type of stunting. I don't know. It's I I don't have enough of a contemporary dance vocab to to pick it apart. I think. Yeah, I mean, I definitely don't either. I empathize with that. Um, I did like the motivational speech Archie gave. I think it could have gone... I think it could have been very... I think they were dodgy lines, and it could have been bad, and it was good. As is tradition. Um, This sequence was fun. Um, Yes. I accept it. As, As sports sequences go... I'm yeah. noticing Reggie this time through. I didn't really notice Reggie in this scene before, but that's partially because um, gasping crowd blends together f- for me when I'm watching trope sport movie. That's just about the sport, which is, I think, again, what we're referencing here. Just about the sport. I will say, even though I have been railing against the sort of tokenization of this character in this show... It just occurred to me, I have never seen a woman in a football uniform ever in my entire life. This is the very first time. And that I will say thank you for. I have never seen a woman scoring a touchdown in fiction or in life, ever. Isn't it amazing the things we realize, oh, this is a first. Oh my god, this is a first. When you're experiencing them. So many experiences (laughs) in life. First times in in our living memory? What? All all straight white dudes till now? What? Oh. <laughs> also, aren't like, teachers not supposed to date each other? I don't know how that works. No. No. Um, certainly not in the world of Riverdale professionalism. Also, they're all volunteer. That was the thing when Weatherby was reading Jug the Ride Act that I kept thinking, he could just leave. He's not getting paid. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> you don't have another English teacher. Yeah, uh, it's true. You well, I mean, it does sound like they're getting um, they're having trouble finding uh, teachers. I don't know. All this to say is that you're right. I think. No, pinch, I mean, a few episodes no ago, kitty. Riverdale was the four of them teaching alone, right? And now it is back to a functioning school with rules. <laughs> Silly, <laughs> but needed for the genre. Yeah. The structure we need. <sighs> so, I remember... Oh, man, maybe I shouldn't talk about that. Um, I'm just thinking about, <laughs> like, the tabs that schools keep on students and the tabs that schools don't keep on students. For example, um, mm. there was a, a guy I knew in grade 8 who mm. went on a strings trip to Switzerland, and his mom, who lives in Switzerland, who did not have custody of him, came and picked him up in Switzerland and just kept him. And that was the last I ever heard about it. Huh. And I just Mm -hmm. wonder about this, like, Lerman leaving. 
and that not being a big deal. I wonder if that's mm-hmm. sort of more true to life. Anyway, this sequence was great. This little scene, Mage and Amic mm-hmm. was so great. Mm-hmm. I loved it. More great meat for her to chew. Um, the payoff of Glenn. Glenn has been used effectively as a reciprocal for Betty's angry sads. He has been used and is comfortably disposed. I am pleased with this progression. They yes. gave him a mustache as he became a jerk. I'm here for it. I do want to know where Betty's cat is, though, that he's supposed to be taking care of in the big bad city. Yes, oh my god. Where's I forgot cat? about that completely. So we never go back to Kevin this episode. They we better didn't... go back to Kevin next week. A yes, bunch. I hope so. We need more closure than the trauma monologue. Yeah, I mean, I am rooting for him and Fangs. I think it's a, I think yeah. it's a fun couple. I like seeing. I would like it if an unconventional family worked out on my television screen. That would be fun for me. Yes, I am. I am always cynical of high school sweetheart romances, increasingly in contemporary works. But like, if you're gonna do one of those tropes, giving it to the queer kids, heck yeah. Happy, happy, joy, joy. Schitt's Creek uh, set set a great mold for us. Uh, you want to give an idyllic, heteronormative white picket fence? How about giving it to someone who has been denied that historically and who might actually want a shot? <laughs> it's neat. Yeah. I'm, it's funny. Um, I learned from someone who I knew who was getting married to her high school sweetheart who she'd been dating since they were... They'd been dating since they were 15. And they were in their early mid 20s and they were getting married mm-hmm. and she said that um interesting statistic one in five marriages are couples who met in high school hmm. um in north america so that's interesting i'd be interested to know to how that relates to divorce statistics but anyway something age demographics as well mm-hmm. age and region i mean quite a few like quite a few marriages of people i knew from high school were from that era, and quite a few divorces as well. Yes. It's complicated. Well, I've um, kind of said all mm-hmm. I really need to say about that episode, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, I'm tempted and could probably pontificate about Dynamics' presentation of risky sex versus public and, and or social sex, but I've, I've done plenty for now. My steam is... I've... I've unloaded enough pressure from the valve I think to, to let it go for now and see what they give us next week to react to um, well thank you for I, um, um, yeah. doing a lot of what essentially amounts to spokesmanship in this episode Ryan I really appreciated you giving your emotional labor to that I really appreciated it it's so nice to have somewhere to put it <laughs> um, and not just this podcast but this show um, it's nice to have novel twists in, in queer stories and, and in gay stories. And th- th- there's an important distinction. Queer is a thing. I'm, I'm fond of the label queer. It's the one I use first and foremost. But there is a distinct gay mask culture in this country and a lot of countries. There are separate experiences that are mm-hmm. accessible or inaccessible to different people in the queer community. And, and that's, that's a really real lived experience. And subculture and subset that I'm really thrilled to, to, to see on my screen in unexpectedly firsty ways. Um, and I'm always like, I, I, 
I keep stumbling into new examples of, I didn't know I wanted that. Um, I lost so much time a little while ago into the game Stardew Valley. Um, Mm -hmm. Stardew Valley is a farming game. It started as an app and it's now on Steam. And I bought the full version a little while back for a brain breather. And I played the precursor games, Harvest Moon as a kid, um, where, where you're a farmer and you farm and mine and forage and meet someone nice in town and get married. And I remember when you could play as a woman uh, and that was a revolutionary thing in high school. And I was putting off this game because uh, life is weird and busy and time is weird. And then I, 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 it was pointed out to me, this wasn't new information, but it was pointed out to me and my attention was drawn to the fact that I can be gay in this game. There are 12 love interests. They do not change regardless of your character's binary gender choice. You can date whoever you want to date. And that was just like, oh, switch on. I didn't know I've always wanted to play Gabe Harvest Moon, but guess what I've wanted since the age of eight? <laughs> and just lost five days of my life. Uh, this is the reason I'm never going to play this game. The idea of suddenly losing five <laughs> days of my life fills me with utter terror. Five complete days, Chloe. Five complete, complete days. It was, it's, it's, it's an addiction game. But it's it scratched an itch. I I needed that rest, and I needed that gay story. <laughs> so yeah, it's uh, always nice to stumble into these unexpected bits of rep- representation. The we didn't I didn't know I was missing it bits. Truly, yeah. Well, I wish yeah. you joy in Stardew Valley, and I wish myself joy with every Netflix show. <laughs> That's what yes. I'm doing to cope. Uh, we'll be back next week for one more episode before a hiatus time, gang. Yeah, a big, big, long, big, 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 long, long hiatus. hiatus time. Yeah. Which, um, you know, no promises, but maybe, maybe a something. We'll see what time in life brings us, um, in, in the big gap time. Maybe we'll have a special vaccine special where Chloe and or I can finally safely be in the same room. We'll just ramble for an hour and put that up or something. Woo! We'll Well, we might do something. We'll be back in July, at least. We'll be back next week. That's what we're going to do for sure. Yes. (laughs) We'll definitely be back (laughs) next week, which is when we will see you next, Riverdale gang. Ta for now. Ta for now.